You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I am Joshua Fredlin. Uh, Corey is actually joining us today. He is not dead or dying. Um, <laughs> he is in Iowa. Aaron Castro is in Arizona. Liam Poach is somewhere in Massachusetts. We don't know exactly where. I, I I'm trying to revere, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I will also be in the comments section, so hit me up with your thoughts and questions throughout the show. So, guys, how was your week? Uh, you know, flip Denver for I, I'm going to call it Can Am weekend because there was two games. Um, but uh, as per usual, you know, events don't get coordinated or don't people don't get informed of. And there was something on there were a few things on Friday that I may have wanted to go to, but found out too late. So I just stuck with my plans and we went to Greeley to see Brooks' grandma and aunt. And then also spent most of Sunday with my sister-in-law um, and while we were at brunch trying to convince her and her husband, who's actually flying with the Navy um, over the weekend, um, to become Raptor season ticket holders since they just moved to uh, Colorado. But, uh, you know, Saturday was – oh, and I saw Josh on Saturday. That was, uh, as per usual, um, hanging out uh, – at Infinity Park, snapping up amazing photos for all of you um, to take a look at. So if you haven't seen his posts on our Facebook, on our Instagram, or his own personal albums that he linked, check those out. But um, yeah, great weekend, kind of tired. It was funny. I, I spoke with Mikey Teo after the game. Uh, he won't be go. He did not. Well, I guess won't be going to Fiji. He did not go to Fiji, and he was, he was talking. He's like, you know what? I'm thinking about going down to Phoenix to train, uh, because he's still uh, a couple weeks away uh, with his foot. So, uh, and I was like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, that 115 degree weather. I was like, bro, if you want to come, just, just let me know. But it's kind of awful. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, yeah great weekend. Um. I guess Canada hate week is over uh, as uh, started by the American rugby pod. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was just something that I didn't really think I was going to see, you know, um, but Liam, how was your weekend? Uh, so my weekend was pretty good. Obviously it was capped off with being able to watch the, uh, the game on Saturday night. Um, so as you guys can probably tell from our email chain, at first I wasn't able to watch the game, but finally I coughed up the money, the $20 a month to, uh, watch the rugby pass through NBC gold. So I was able to, um, eventually catch the, uh, the majority it's, it's, of the game. It's $20 a month. It's, it's 60 bucks for the whole year, which is it's much 60 better for the whole year, but I, I'm, I'm only paying 20 for the month because oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah, don't yeah. want NBC gold for the whole year. There's, <laughs> there's no reason for me to have it. So, but uh, so uh, other than that, though, um, I officially signed my contract with the New England Free Jacks. So uh, people watching this podcast, I am now officially the uh, the, the official uh, team journalist of the New England Free Jacks. I'm very happy for this honor opportunity to uh, be working in my hometown to be a Boston journalist. And I'm looking forward to moving forward with that in the best possible way. And 
especially no longer being with the Houston Sabercats. You know, I'm not going to say one way or another whether that's a good thing. Wink, wink. But, yeah, I'm very excited to be where, where I'm at right now. That's awesome, man. Congratulations on that. Oh, hell yeah. So, yeah, I guess uh, things have been pretty crazy around here. Yeah, As you noticed, I wasn't on last week. Um, and you didn't get a beard trim. I, I got a beard trim. I'm trying to look slightly more professional. But uh, uh, between uh, work stuff and family commitments, it's just been kicking my butt. So, yeah, um, that kind of leads into some announcements and some updates on kind of what we're doing with the show and what I'm doing. So, uh, you may get, you guys may have seen on Twitter that we announced that this is our last week on YouTube, and that is because YouTube's actually changing how they deal with uh, live streamers and stuff like that. So they're boo. No this, this is a bad development. Boo! Yeah, they're not going to be providing as many resources to us to be able to do this for free. So we're um, examining our options and going to figure out what we're going to do from here. But we are still going to be putting out our weekly shows. Um, it just may not be broadcast live for a little bit. We may be shifting to Facebook. We'll figure something out. So know that we're not going anywhere, but you may have to wait till Wednesdays for the pod to come out if worst case scenario happens and we're not able to go live. So with that noted, I just wanted to say um, that going into summer break after the PNC here, uh, actually starting next week, I am going to be stepping back behind the camera. So this season, I've got to hang out with you guys and kind of co-host, and it's been absolutely fantastic, and I've loved it. But because of, you know, kind of family work commitments and then just some opportunities to really focus on technical and promotional opportunities for the show itself, I'm going to start using my resources back behind the camera while uh, Aaron and Liam really take the lead, and uh, Josh hops in once in a while. We'll have some special guests popping in and out and who knows we may be announcing a third host sometime in the future we'll figure that out but the important thing to know is that even though we're, we have some personnel changes even though we have broadcast changes we're not going anywhere and that's all because of you guys and the fact that you're showing up every week that you're listening that you're watching the show so from the bottom of my heart let me just say, I really appreciate you guys being with us the last two years and for letting us do what we love. Uh, you guys really stepped up here a few weeks ago for our fundraiser, and that's going to allow us the security to go into the next two to three seasons. Yeah, for real, every, everybody who donated, everybody who donated, I want to give you a, a special personal shout out. You did so much for this show uh, that we can't even like articulate into words, you know, what it means to us. It really, you know, it really hits hard that, to know that you guys like actually enjoy the show enough that you would donate some money. Uh, Aaron's doing some fake crying right now. Um, well, I, I will say via text message and via email, I did harass him. And I mean, harassed because it was a lot. And I said, you don't have to leave. You don't have to do this. And he's like, you know what? Um, remember that thing that I originally said about how I wanted to do the show? Yeah, I want to go. I want to do that. And I was like, but please. And he's like, no, it's we're, I think it's best. You know, I, I'll still be your dad. I will still be the well, dad of the show. That, that, that's the thing I think everybody was was worried about was that we want Corey to still be our podcast dad. Like, I, Corey, not gonna. I don't know what I would do without you, man. Like, with, without you log, logging on every Monday, I think I might just be lost. Like, I would just be hitting my head against the freaking wall. Like, you know, 
Like, God, just listening to Aaron every Monday, of course I would be hitting my head against the freaking wall. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the sad thing is you guys are the smart ones. I'm just standing here reading uh, reading words that you wrote. So I think you're in hands. I don't think you have anything to worry about. So quick shout out to all of our properties. You know, we got Earful of Dirt, we got Enla Melee, and we got Lineouts. And once again, this is all because of the listeners, you guys making this possible. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I will still be here and I'll even jump on air once in a while. So you won't get rid of me 100 percent. But uh, oh, most you, definitely be sure to hit me up at um, at Corey Munson on Twitter. So you can find me there for sure. And if we and, ever get a in Iowa, I guess we know who gets to go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, when the MLR expansion comes to Des Moines. I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's it for me. You joke, but like at this point, like it's not even the most unlikely thing. Like, no, I don't even want this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could finally get hired by a team if they uh, launched a Des Moines outfit. <laughs> All right, guys. Josh, take us away, man. All right. Now that we got the sad news out of the way. For those new to the podcast, each Monday night during the Major League Rugby season, we discuss news, rumors, and excuse me, news and rumors from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union. It's a chance to look at the issues, hear from the league, players, and team leadership, and check in with our friends from across the U.S. rugby scene. That said, Aaron, what are we covering this week? All right, we're going to do uh, sort of a short PNC round one recap of the two other games involving four teams, and we're going to just get into that USA versus Canada shellacking. Um, and then a uh, USA versus Samoa preview. I won't really preview uh, the Canada versus Fiji match because, well, I, get, I think you guys will understand uh, about that. So, and then uh, Tonga plays Japan. So um, we, we won't really dig too deep into that because I, I haven't looked – very hard at the Japan roster, but we will do that next week in our preview to sort of give you an idea of their, uh, of their makeup. So I, I do, I do have to ask though, just because it gave me a little trouble last uh, time, how cognizant do I have to be that Ray Barkwell might be listening to this podcast? Because um, I mean, he's apparently like, it, he's, retired. he's retired, but he is the U 20 scrum coach i believe or assistant coach for for them um so i i I remember all these i'm pretty sure he we get listened to by players team executives oh we do we we do i believe me i've i've like 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 all last season when i was working for the saber cats that i was given shit every time i picked against them that's why I stopped picking teams who were playing the Sabercats. So, so Raimondo, oh. if, if you listen, you know where to find me, okay? Thanks. See, see. But no, it, it, it was more so just like six foot, like, you know, seven foot tall giants like Matt Truville will be like, Pouchy, why the hell did you pick against us this week? You know, like, I, I wasn't down for that, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, well, let's jump into it. I'll try and take Corey's job and try to keep us on track. Aaron, why don't you give us a recap of round one? Uh, so if anyone got a chance to see Tonga versus Samoa, uh, it was the mud bowl. There was a lot of chatter, especially after like the super series chatter about like uh, 
conditions. But if anyone actually watched the game, because the pictures being shared were like pictures at the 35th minute, pictures at the 50th minute, pictures at the 80th minute. Okay, so so it was the Mud Bowl. Um, they were playing in basically, I think it's Typhoon is what they call it, um, not, not a hurricane. Uh, it's typhoons are in the Pacific, I guess. Uh, they were playing a typhoon, and uh, it was awful. <laughs> like, I've never, if everyone remembers the San Diego versus Seattle game in March down at Torero, uh, where there was so much rain that, uh, you know, it, it didn't matter how the ball didn't need to bounce that hard. You just, it could set it down from an inch, and a huge puddle would, would go up. Well, that field was saturated, and that field is now definitely unplayable. That was played in Apia, Samoa. So, well, there are no more games that I know of that will be taking place in Samoa. There, the rest are in uh, either Japan or in Fiji. So we'll find out if there's more rain this weekend, if we tear up another field. Because um, the field was out in decent condition. But So, Aaron, Ferrero, do you, do you uh, think it would have been more optimal to have more games in the United States as opposed to just one um, at Xfinity? Uh, I think that we have a lot more high-quality pitches in the United States than there are. Uh, like you know, Aviva. <laughs> yeah, so you've got Aviva. Like th- the Samoa game was at their national stadium. Like that, I've seen that pitch when it's not like this, and it was – it's pretty. I mean, it's. it's a, I wouldn't say it's Twickenham, you know. Um, but uh, no. But at the same time, like even um, what, what was it the um the uh the the, the Real Salt Lake uh, home stadium? They they hosted one of the Warriors games, and it was a pristine field with a huge attendance number. Uh, yeah. Why why was that completely unavailable well, for something like the PNC? So part of this, I think, for I think part of this is Japan is running some logistics exercises because all of their games um well not all of their games because they're gonna play this other one in Fiji when they play us in round two but uh, for the first two rounds Japan I guess is doing some logistics exercises for uh, the World Cup but uh I, I mean I don't know uh, I think part of this is to give uh one of the island nations some some revenue um pop like that's very true. You know, they, they do need the, – the unions do need some revenue, whereas they have played, um, like, I think a whole PNC in the United States, and that gives none of the uh, – none of the teams chance for revenue sharing, really, of – because these – the small unions have to – like us, we're a small union. Let's just put that out there. The Tier 2 unions need these exercises – of event promotion to learn how to generate revenue and to generate revenue through events. Um, guess what? This is Saturday was one of the few games that USA rugby probably makes money at. Like they packed the crap out of infinity park. They sold a ton of beer and they sold a ton of hot dogs. Oh my gosh. That's exactly what I'm thinking though, is that, you know, a, a game that sold out at Xfinity could easily have sold out at, at Aviva or even at, at a place like Starfire Stadium or something like that. So if you expand that, you know, if you expand the experience over two or three games, I think like, you know, now that hindsight is 2020 and stuff like that, I think maybe the, you know, at the next PNC, we could be seeing a lot more uh, games held at United States venues be, just, 
you know, from the fact that it's now known that we can make money from them just uh, based on attendance at Xfinity alone. Yeah. Um, it, it would be smart, especially if, you know, we stay in the PNC uh, for a while instead of what previously happened, which is we basically got kicked out. I mean, we're, uh, we're not going to be going to the Champions Cup any anytime soon because that would just be that would just be the R word right there. But uh, get, getting into this game, really, uh, Tonga was not as. Uh, well, they were undisciplined. They tackled high a lot. I mean, Samoa did too, but they, I mean, they committed infringements, leave, they got red and stuff like that. So it was what it was. And you had all this other stuff going on. Um, what happened was, is the, some, Samoa was more disciplined and it was, I couldn't even like previewing this previewing is this game is going to be tough for the U S because it was like rain is the equalizer rain kind of can deteriorate rugby games. And that's what happened. It was, it was just sort of mud wrestling. Um, but, but at the same time though, is like while, while rain could absolutely deteriorate rugby games. Sometimes I feel like the United States does a better job at this ground and pound style of rugby where it's a lot more forward oriented. And when you have a lot more, you know, moist conditions, I feel like that's the kind of, you know, style of play that you're, you're gravitated towards. So in some ways, I think the United States stands a better chance in the, in these more rained out games with people like Paul Mullen, uh, people like chance and stuff like that. Like, you know, like, you know, who are, who are carrying the ball. Um, like, you know, even, even Ash McGinty, who was able to, you know, to take between tacklers and stuff like that, as well as get it out wide, he's probably more suited to play it, you know, in a, in a, in a rainy game where the opposition's, uh, you know, options are limited, you know, uh, as opposed to ours. Oh, for sure. I think, and I think we, we sort of showed that with the style of play and the attack we did on, on Saturday, getting into Fiji, uh, they lost 21 to 35 to Japan. Um, well, their scrum half is an idiot. Let's just say that. Um, apparently, some people think that pinching guys' butts is part of the game. He also stepped on Japan's Yo, foot. So can, can we talk about how big of a thing on social media this was? Oh, it was, was huge. This, was this the pinching the other one's butt? Like, if, if, if rugby was bigger, this would be a, a bigger non-story than freaking Deflategate was at this so, point. So it was like the biggest nothing. Like, th- here's my thing about this. In America, you, you can't pinch the guy's butt you could grab his butt or you could slap it and say good game and get away with it but pinching a guy's butt is it your life no, that, that, that was intimidation that was total mind games I've, I've played i've played the same same kind of stuff in a rugby game like myself like i like like well, yeah you know there was no good game about it he was pinching his ass and he was trying well, to do it like yeah. it'd be fun well, i mean you could not you you would get away with it if it's more of a good game type thing here whereas i'm surprised they didn't get into a fight <laughs> he, uh, he, 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 he didn't get into a fight but it wasn't a good game kind of thing like like that's why i'm kind of like on the line about like how i feel about it like like if it was a D2, D3 college rugby thing, I would have loved it. But the fact that it was on the professional stage was kind of like, come on now, man. I don't think you get away with doing that in the United States, like, for the most part. The- BS, dude. I got away with it. I'm talking about at the top level. I think uh, I don't think Sean Davies is going to deal with that. Uh, I think there's going to be a fight because he does like to fight. 
Um, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, that, that was apparently the only thing that came out in this game um, was Japan scrum half getting his foot stepped on and getting pinched in the butt. But, uh, it, you know, if that's uh, all we're going to talk about, uh, Japan is probably going to be a very tough opponent in two weeks because they uh, they did their thing. They beat Fiji, who is more athletic, who is bigger, um, and and they did it with uh, good form. Um, so, yeah. To be fair, isn't Japan basically a Tier 1 nation without the name? Well, I would say um, competitively, Fiji is currently a Tier 1 nation without the name. I would say Japan has is sort of like your Italy in that they have the money. They are definitely – money-wise, a Tier 1 nation without the name and have basically hovered, you know, at the – I'm knocking on the top 10 for a while. And they are ranked number 11. So, but Fiji, I think, is ninth right now. So, competitively, Fiji is currently your Tier 1 nation in, in all but name. Um, but off the field, they are definitely not. All right, so let's move on to the shellacking that happened this weekend. In case you all missed it, the Eagles drained the maple syrup for the bucket by beating Canada 47-19. and Hell Liam, yeah. You, Liam, you want to start, or should we get, give you some time and have Aaron start? Um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and start just because I don't have uh, notes in front of me the same way that Aaron does right now. Um, so – so, so when it comes to this game, I, w- I was much more impressed with the pace that the United States was able to play at uh, through a large majority of the game, which is exactly what I think we're going to be needing uh, by the time the Rugby World Cup comes around. You start, especially in the second half, um, where they realize that they had a lead that they needed to capitalize on. We had seen Canada in a, in a bunch of other circumstances come back from uh, from being down in games to being able to, uh, like, you know, either make it close or being able to defeat us. And we didn't want it to be happening this time around. We knew that we, we need to kind of set the tone for how we were going to be playing in the rugby world cup this year. And I think we really did it uh, this time around against Canada. Um, especially like when it comes to Dylan Fawcett, um, you know, playing in the scrum, playing very physical, uh, playing very smart, but when it comes to the ball in hand, he may as well be like a number 13 or number 14 out there because because he can actually he can absolutely carry it. Um, the fact that we were able to use all of our substitutes and kind of make it a very cohesive, very fluid, um, you know, sub, uh, process of substitution, I thought spoke volumes about the way that Gary Gold played this game and uh, kind of utilized the uh, the. Um, well, well, Capelli play. decided that he only wanted to be used for five minutes. Yeah. Exactly. But, <laughs> but, but regardless, I think Gary showed that he, he was able to utilize the pieces that he had, you know, like uh, at his disposal to a very effective, uh, you know, to a very, to a very effective method. And I think, you know, Canada is definitely, in, they're in our lane enough that we showed our prowess tonight. I, I, I guess you could say that we are a very capable team on the national stage and we should absolutely ring up at least one or two victories during the rugby world cup in 2019. Um, Aaron's probably going to get launched into a lot more of the specifics, but like I said, I was very impressed with the, with the pace that the United States uh, team was able to play with, uh, during this game, as well as the fact that they were at least able to recycle inside the 22. I feel like a, a big problem that we've been uh, seeing with the national team 
uh, over the, the last couple of games is their inability to actually get um, any kind of offensive momentum going inside the 22s. It's all been between them. And whereas you kind of get lucky inside the 22s uh, this time, I think they were actually creating a lot more offense. They were, uh, you know, getting more progress off of micro plays in general. And I think that, uh, you know, that's definitely a very good thing heading in, uh, towards the rugby world cup where it's going to get a lot more technical and you're going to rely a lot more on the, you know, small details of how you play the game. So or- originally when I saw this roster, I felt it was a bit experimental and, and I kind of said that out there and some people were like, huh? and you know, um, and, and the reason why I say that is it looked more like an America's rugby championship roster when we don't have everyone together, but it shows that you have enough to where you should compete at a high level and really be able to do what we did. The spine, very solid guys that had seen plenty of time under Gary Gold. We're not talking about, you know, guys who are just out forever. You know, Aj McGinty started at 10. Uh, without him, I, I, I don't know where we're, where we're at. Because, like, the, he is, you know, he's a world-class 10, period. End of story. Um, you know, two years ago or a year ago, he was definitely the top – um, fly half in uh, the premiership, although he didn't get the awards. So uh, voters, you suck. Um, but uh, I still, a lot of guys in combination, overall the combinations haven't, none of these have really been traditionally used together. Um, but the spine and the lock combination gave this team enough of what they could to turn the screws. And then you sort of, one thing that was mentioned by Grant Cole is like, all of these players are high-level, high-IQ defensive players that were, were put on this team, and we saw that uh, significantly. Uh, when I saw the ca- Canadian roster later uh, that day, which is last Thursday, I was relatively concerned because overall I felt that they put out more of their front line versus we did, and that was at the time. And they were debuting a new fly-half in Peter Nelson, who's only played fullback, uh, really, uh, when he previously played with Ulster. Uh and so that was probably the their big um, concern there. Uh, they also kept uh, Benoit Pifero, and, and or wait, not Pifero. Uh, he started. He did not get capped because he earned another cap. But Andrew Quatrin, uh, who is a reserve hooker, did get debut. Uh, so uh, you know, um, then we get into preparation. Our guys, um, about half the group had a total of seven weeks together, and then the other half that played late in the MLR season uh, gave you this total group together uh, for five weeks. Canada uh, Saturday was their fourteenth day together. Then at altitude, looking at our attack, our coaches were a bit disappointing uh, when we took contact. There were quite a few times, especially in the first quarter and uh, overall in the first half, that we just coughed up the ball in contact, whether it was whether it went backwards or um, it was a knock on. Uh, the, the difference in the past was the level of conditioning they had. They were able to transition uh, into defense, and they didn't give Canada any of these opportunities on defense, we were extremely physical. Uh, You know, sometimes you want to force double tackles when you're on attack. And also on defense, you also want to use double tackles so that guys do not make ground. And you are able to also physically pummel them with these double tackles. When you're, when you're attempting to force double tackles on attack, you're attempting to tire someone out. When your intention is to do double tackles, it's to batter 
the attacking team and have them cough up the ball, which which Canada did, and that's how we ended up, you know, twenty to seven in the first half. Uh, you know, going into the sheds, uh, you, you know, we, we did play with this intent. Um, and I think to sort of prepare for uh, bad, poor conditions when we jump off to Fiji, because we definitely used our kicking game a lot and we attacked their playmakers. Uh, one of their wings, uh, their starting wings and Jeff Hassler uh, collided with Taylor Paris in practice and lost both of his front teeth. Uh, he had already lost uh, one of those front teeth previously, so he had a fake tooth um, that he also lost, so he needed a bunch of stitches, and at some point I think he's either going to pull a Kyle Bailey and not get those replaced, or he's going to... cost a lot of money, I'm pretty sure, too, right? Don't yeah, they? Yeah, they're not... Like, the whole process is not cheap, right? Because you have to have oral surgery to get those inserted. So either he's going to pull a Kyle Bailey and just roll without him, or he's going to have two fake teeth uh, inserted into his um, right here. Um, but uh, so he wasn't available, but DTH Vandenberg was, and you know, he showed you DTH Vandenberg stuff. Like he was very hard to tackle. He was very physical, but at the end of the day, uh, we did not give Connor trainer. We did not give uh, not Taylor Paris. I forget who was their fullback or Connor trainer or DTH. Uh, anything. Um, we and and the reason why we didn't give them anything is because our transition and our defense. Like one of the guys that um, was being talked about in camp, uh, uh, I didn't really hear a lot about Jamison Fauna or Schultz, but uh, I, I did go back and watch the broadcast and they talked about him. Um, whereas I was talking to some of the guys around camp uh, on Saturday, and so. I'll talk to Jamal about Jamal later, but one of the guys who really showed out who started uh, at wing was Martin Yosefo. And this is a guy who has the physical build to be a winger the way we want to be a winger. He's got, he's got the physical build. He's got the pace. He's got the conditioning. He played all 80 minutes. Like he, he got after it and he was physical. He broke through tackles. He made, I he probably made 80 meters yeah. when he carried the ball. Um, and he was being talked about as a guy that you know, really, I think he only had three caps before this. And he was like, he's just, the coaches are like, he's just gotten after it. You know, it's um, one of those things though, where I feel like in the United States, when you, you think of the body, like the pro typical type for a, uh, for a wing, you think of like these like skinny scrawny guys who might not be able to break through contact very uh, easily, but can, you know, definitely run. It's whereas I think that it's a lot more different thinking with some of these more southern hemisphere oriented teams where you want uh, backs who can like you know muscle a little bit through the back line. So what would our what what would our back line look like if we let's just say Ryberg got caught up with Eosefo and Ryberg on the wings? Uh, it would it would I mean. I'm calling up someone so, else than Ryberg before. I mean, so, so here's I, the thing: I think like with somebody like Ryberg, you might not have the field awareness that you would want. Um, you know, with somebody like, especially on the national stage, I mean, like, yeah, the physicality might be there, but I think like rugby IQ is something that has to be taken into account on, you know, in a large scale when it comes to, when it comes to national team, nothing against Ryberg's, you know, a rugby, rugby IQ either, but he's, he's still a young guy. I look at Ry, I look at Johnny Ryberg and, you know, people are like, why hasn't he been called up? Hey, I don't know why, like he is a top wing in MLR, but sometimes guys, are just club players. They just are. 
Um, I, I got into a discussion about another wing. Mika Cruze. I don't, I don't, I don't well, want to. Well, Mika Cruze, to is 20, Mika Cruze is 20 years old and he got capped. So let's let's not talk – like I'm not throwing his name into this, but there was another wing that was like I was in a discussion with about and about why he wasn't called up. And I'm like, do you uh, – guys, wing and back row – and this, I say guys to, to our, our listeners um, and gals or just guys uh, or dudes and dudettes. Wing and back row are the two longest lines to to break out um, because there, there are like five capped wings that are playing in MLR right now that like have their hands up that with their performance. So I understand there are some – wouldn't so, even be bad options either. Like not even a backup option. No, like, like, we're we not, actually we're have that much about, depth at this point. We're, we're talking about guys who have started for, for long periods of time that are, have also been in this player pool that are in this player pool right now that were named that weren't in camp. So one of the things going into the world cup, especially is this is not really the place you, you, um, you experiment. Like the reason why Jamison Thon and Anna Schultz got called up, is because, you know, at a, at a certain position, like number eight, especially with the uh, retirement of Sam and Manoa, um, Cam Dolan is our only true number eight uh, that was there. Uh, Reichert Hadding was called up, but he was, uh, from what I understand, uh, he had a knee infection, and so he was sent home. Um, so I, I guess... I, I guess I was completely wrong last week and wondering why Riker Hadding hadn't been called up from the outer squad list. He actually was when Sam Umino retired, but he um, didn't pass medical. So um, that, that it's, it's one of those that, things where you realize in USA rugby that um, that injury reports are not exactly mandatory, that it's just kind of literally just finding out, like, you know, through the grapevine about who is injured. Really a, that's really a rugby issue in general. I, I feel like when you're trying to find out what, like, it's not an MLR thing. It's not uh, an, an international thing. It's like this rugby across the board. I wouldn't say there's a lack of transparency, but players like the, one of the reasons, two of the reasons why you have, uh, you know, uh, the these injury reports in uh, major American sports is gambling and collective bargaining agreements. Um, mm-hmm. People want transparency when it comes to uh, these uh, two injuries. So, but in rugby, we we really don't have that. We're we're starting to see that a lot more, especially with the national team. Um, there was a press release about Nick Trevetta, uh, his injury. Uh, he uh, has a lower limb injury. I think he. Uh, he probably had x-rays um, almost immediately. And uh, I think uh, based on <laughs> what that was, he probably would have an MRI in the next day or so. And then we'll find out if he, uh, I guess, if we'll get updated um, what the final, prog- I guess, diagnosis and then prognosis is for his recovery. Um, but uh <sighs> So yeah, that, that that's sort of my uh, that's sort of the thing about injuries. Hey guys, I want injury reports because I think it's it's good, especially when yep. gambling becomes like a thing in MLR. Um, you're gonna need to have those. Um, the moment like sports books in the United States, uh, in Vegas, if every sports book has Rugby World Cup, uh, betting, um, at some point you're you're gonna have to have detailed injury reports because it's gonna be insider trading, right? Um. Uh, you know, so 
what did we do? Um, we relied heavily on our set piece when we were on attack. We kicked to we kicked to the corner often, and we used our mall, and we just beat them up. If you look at the lineout, we were a hundred percent in our lineout, and then we disrupted theirs the so, whole time. So, so here's here's the thing though. What I found, especially in the second half, is that the pace of play tended to get interrupted a lot, especially when it came to uh, Canada committing penalties, which, don't get me wrong, you know, gave the United States plenty of opportunities, uh, you know, especially in the set piece. But how much did that affect the ultimate outcome of the game when it, when it, when it said that we were able to get these set piece opportunities so often because Canada was so uh, penalty prone, especially in the second half? Well, I think... Looking back at the whole game, we gave up our own opportunities to run our attack, like our full attack, and like get like just run through multiple phases and then push the ball wide and take over match with athletes uh, like Yosefo, like with Scully, like with uh, Campbell and Brocky, and even Hooli, and you know cut the edge and score that way. Which I think the one time I would say we saw our attack run completely was when Gannon Moore scored a try. Um, we, you know, ran three phases, pushed the ball out. Odds, like, is like, pushed it out. Um, Cooley grabs the ball, dishes it off to uh, Gannon Moore, and he's just off to the races. And um, what was it? Uh, DTH tries to tackle him. I think it was DTH. Or was DTH in the centers? I need to look back at that roster, but whoever was wearing number 11 for Canada tries to tackle him leaps has his hands out shoulder hits hip. And then like the whole, I wouldn't say it contorts. He keeps running, but the player just like, if you're watching this just turns and then his momentum just takes him out to touch. Cause Gannon Moore is uh, like, he is a solid fellow, Right. Yeah, he just they just this person just bounced off him because uh, he wasn't able to get his arms completely around him and and sort of hold on. But even there, you're talking about the five meter line that was going to be a broken tackle anyways, and he was going to score. And at the game, it it looked like he might have been pushed into touch. But I just rewatched the game today, and he was two meters inside. So, like that didn't even, that hit didn't even like break him break getting more off the line. He was running that like, oof, those wheels, those wheels are nice to have. On a it, guy. it was DTH. Eric. Oh, it was DTH. That's I, yeah. I was, I, that's what I thought. But uh, so I, hey, you talked about kicking to the corner. Can we talk about that incredibly lucky try? Uh, so we, so here's a funny thing. Like, so Canada did a lot more kick chase than us. Right. But because of our our centers and wings having speed, they yeah. they weren't able to get like actually chase the ball because we picked it up. So on this one, it, it they they recycle the ball. Odge passes it out. It gets to Huli. Uh, he kicks it. I would say in theory a little short, uh, based on when where. Uh, Blaine Scully was, but it's a rugby ball, so it bounces kind of funny. And uh, I want to say it hit the post, or it hit the corner post, but I think a, I thought a Canada player touched it, and Blaine Scully was going, 
and he was in the right place and he had the ball awareness. He was like, nope, that's still in because it has not hit the ground on the outside. Touches it down. And then some freaking idiot on Twitter, of course, says, this law needs to change. There shouldn't be allowed a fluke bounces on corner posts and it being counted as a truck. Oh my gosh. Like, um, how about we celebrate the celebrate the ball awareness of the Eagles captain for just having the the like awareness and skill set to go shit that ball's still in. Grab, set down, try. Hey, we should we yeah. should have started an SC top ten petition. Oh man, that was that, yeah. Oof. Hey, Dan, Danny Barrett made it. Scared. <laughs> Blaine Scully could have made it too. So not 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 to derail the conversation too much, but a- after all after all is said and done, so for the people watching right now that might not know, our rugby World Cup pool is England, France, Argentina, and Tonga. After after. Our performance in the PNC, um, you know, I, I, obviously it's it's only Canada, and you know that's kind of like our our feel good match of the year, or you know one of our feel good matches of the year every year. Um, what is what is our outlook right now to you, Aaron, in in our ability to at least, to win at least one game in the Rugby World Cup? Right now, based yeah. on how we executed using like the good box kicking of an Eagle scrum half, because. Eagles scrum halves are notorious for being awful. Um, like where the way Sean Davies angled all his kicks to push them, like thank thank you for the altitude um, that would just push the balls 50 meters deep. Um, that would allow us like we we showed off, I think, a lot of high skills uh, in this game. And, and why that matters is we are going to face, I mean, even if even including Tonga like four very highly skilled teams that can kick the ball and put them in places that we need to be able to win our exits and re-kick or collect or sprint towards so that we can play good defense. I thought we executed the game plan correctly based on how I saw they were playing. And it's good to know that our standards of a 47 to 19 victory is not enough. This makes me feel better. But it also makes me feel better going into this game against Samoa. It also makes me feel better going into this game against Japan because I know that we are going to go into those games and compete. And then when we finish the PNC, I'll kind of have an idea. But Brian Hightower and Alex Corbazero said they are playing at a level where winning a game is going to be expected. But not only winning a game is going to be expected, and this is where I, I talk, you know, about how we shouldn't target games like Tonga. Well, we should target games if we're the United States. You know, yeah. how, how I, I, I say how we shouldn't target games. But Alex said on the broadcast, it's like, it's not just about winning one game. We're, we're, we're showing that we should win a game at the World Cup and that we should compete at the World Cup. Because we've got sort of this, we talk about an American style of rugby. You've got big, fast, top-level athletes under good coaches competing at a high level and showing, you know, that they can turn the screws on a team that also has a bunch of 
guys playing in, you know, for tier one, in tier one competitions, like Evan, Evan Olmstead played with Auckland in the minor 10 last year and was sort of on the fringes of the blues trying to get a is still sticking around, you know, but, uh, but Taylor, uh, Tyler Arjun was the starting number eight for the chiefs, uh, this last year. Um, but, uh, I guess finally, um, to, to wrap this up when on, on the Canada side, it's really hard to find the positives. I think Kingsley is going to be consistent with his selection because he has to be going through the rest of the PNC because he has to prepare this team for uh, for the World Cup. And there's not a whole lot of chopping and changes he can do uh, at this point. Uh, that was sort of the ARC. It was the best level chance he was going to have. I think they've ID'd a top-level 10 for them that you know will get bedded in and will help them out. Uh, in Peter Nelson, uh, when it comes to his attack and distribution, I, I think it was it was pretty good. But their their defense was porous; they couldn't halt any Eagles set piece. Their scrum was a mess. It's it, right now, and they're going to get beat up the rest of this tournament. So, um, but yeah, that's uh that was USA versus Canada. All right, so moving on to the next round of the Pacific Nations Cup, we take on Samoa. Aaron? Um, so Samoa can be a tough physical challenge. Our last time out against them, Ruben Haas had to run the attack because uh, Sean Davies was out with a concussion. And we pulled out a major win on a neutral site. We had the ability to play strong physical rugby, which is what will be needed against them. Going to need to use our skills, going to need to rely on our system and just – Get the overmatch. Um, it's really hard to say what we'll get from Samoa. They're very talented, they're athletic, they're physical, but can be quite undisciplined, uh, which they were when we faced them in November. But against Tonga, those conditions, they were the better team, but those conditions did not allow anyone to see how these teams were really going to play. It was a lot of eight-man rugby in the mud. Like there really wasn't guys breaking out because – it was a, it was a typhoon, so I can't really pre- say what so, they're going to play. And 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 a and a big thing about that though is that like you know whether you're a tier one, tier two, or tier three nation, when it, when you're going up against a team in a typhoon, you're going to have to adjust your game, you know, to to some extent, and you're going to have to uh, to simplify it a little bit. Whereas in the Rugby World Cup, you're more often than not going to be having, you know, optimal weather conditions and you're going to be playing the game that you want to be playing it. So games like that often are not very good tellers as to how, you know, things are going to play out on a on a larger stage against higher tier nations. Because, again, like, like I said, you have to simplify your game plan in order to compensate for the weather. Um, so I guess for Canada versus Fiji, uh, good luck. Guys, I, I Godspeed. <laughs> Serious, um, yeah. So do do we? I guess I have to ask this just so we can kind of appease our Canadian friends. Do they need a second MLR team? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. the, I, yeah. or like, uh, yeah. There's a lot of Canadians playing down here, and but those are like a lot of their a lot of guys in their pool are playing in here. A second yeah. MLR team gives them. Does, does that does that much more of an option? I so I, I think me and Aaron can agree, Vancouver, right? Get on the West Coast. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Vancouver and Toronto are definitely what you want with, with uh, within a Canadian market. Um, obviously, like you know, like you know, just just being from you know having spent time in Vermont, I'm a little bit more uh, like you know like biased towards like maybe a Quebec or a Halifax side. Uh, Montreal, that's what you want to do. You want no, to because Montreal, Montreal hates pit bulls, and I don't like people who hate dogs. So yeah, so I w- I'm all about a Quebec or a Halifax side, not a Montreal dog hating side. <laughs> oh, hey, j- just to say, Denver hates dogs too. Just, just. Good. Yeah. Well, guess what? Um, there's there's a lot of things in Massachusetts that are legal in Denver as well, and Massachusetts is a lot better than Colorado. <laughs> Um, so if you ever want to visit Josh, by all means, let me know. Uh, I don't know. How's the humidity, Aaron? Maybe you well, can. <laughs> no humidity. No oh, it humidity. Is. I mean, I've never, I've never. I, I would say Massachusetts is considered one of the best summer states in in America. Uh, in the winter, no. I'm not a fan. Um, but no. uh, nobody's a fan. I've, I've only been in the winter, so I've. But uh, every time I see shit about the Cape in the summer, I get kind of jealous. I do. I do not live near the Cape, but I live. I do live on the best summer part of Massachusetts. The Cape is fake Massachusetts. I'll just put that out there right now. Um, that, is, that is not real Massachusetts. That is not representative of all of us. Please do not judge us based solely on the Cape. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go. Like, there's mansions all over the Cape. That's that's not a. It's not a real place. Oh, there's mansions all over a lot of places in Massachusetts. I just don't want to be compared to those people. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to everyone's favorite segment. Questions from Bob. Bob. All right. First up from Colin 45. Will Aaron apologize for saying Sears Justice Duru on the podcast last week? It's Justice Sears Duru, people. How dare this guy you mentioned mix up the judge's name? How dare he? How how dare he? I will find him and I will beat him for you. (laughs) All right. Second question from our friend Bill Beck, MD, at the Benjamin Rush on Twitter. You need an emergency pod after that butt kicking, USA versus Canada. I mean, we we're doing that now. I guess we're, we're getting you, we're giving you regularly uh, scheduled regularly scheduled programming. programming. Um, yeah, I suppose we could have done a live reaction or something, but but you and I were like doing media things. I Duck, I, I considered it. I was just drunk enough, like like after the game ended, <laughs> to be like, hmm, should should I go on my should I go on Twitter live right now, just like with the official account, just. <laughs> I, I I don't need DMs from Corey telling me to fuck off though, so I I, I decided not to. <laughs> oh man! All right, question from our friend Munster CR thirty seven: Is oh. AER really moving to San Antonio? Um, not yes, Corey, it is an option. Um, I know there is another option, and that is Circuit of the Americas. I know that would be. Uh, more palatable to the Austinites because they want to keep their team. But San Antonio is in, is in their catchment area. It was their highest attended and highest sold ticket game. So maybe, I don't know. They, they, so 
So one thing I will say after having talked to some people in Austin, there, there's this idea that um, after the exit of Thierry Dupont um, and, that, and after the largely metaphorical ostracization of Richard Osborne, um, there's the kind of like this idea that they want to reset in Houston. Uh, or Sorry, in Austin. In Austin, they, they kind of want to, you know, like, you know, take a step back, take a breath. And now, um, you know, and, and, and kind of and, and do things that they, that they they thought they were supposed to be uh, doing, like and, you know, in in their in their own way, shape, and form. So, we'll we'll, we'll see. But yeah, no, definitely, San Antonio's an option. Ohio might be an option. We'll see. All right, I think that about wraps us up, Josh. Yeah. I say, any final thoughts, guys? Um, beat some more. Uh, yeah, beat Samoa. Let's go, PNC 2019. All right. Well, on our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests. It do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby teams or the league. And Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Poach is now employed by Mystic River Rugby and the New England Free Jacks. Be sure to tune in next week or whenever we whenever we figure out our issues. We're usually live on YouTube each Monday night and available on your favorite podcast platform each Wednesday morning. If you like what we do, please subscribe to our YouTube and iTunes feeds. It helps other folks find us. And be sure to share your own news, views, and abuse with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on the MLR Rugby uh, subreddit, which you can find at reddit.com slash r slash mlrugby. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can share your thoughts with us via our voicemail by calling 720-600-2679. We're live again next Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then.